Hey, everybody, welcome to the Winter Retreat 2009. Uh, I am not a, uh, a teacher, but my name is, uh, I guess my last name is Church. My first name is Ryan. For those of you uh, joining us from the Inn at Wazoo or Tacoma College Ministry, uh, welcome. Uh, on behalf of the staff and student leaders at UMIN that have worked so hard to put this on, uh, we are, are so glad that you have joined us uh, this weekend, and for what I hope is a weekend of, of both uh, refreshment and uh, time to be uh, perhaps challenged and convicted uh, in, in our faith as well. Uh, so thank you for being here. Uh, we've got a great weekend planned for you. Uh, tomorrow you're going to have the opportunity to, to not only uh, hear from our speaker, continue to worship in song, with the band here, but to hear from, from others in seminars, it's a, it is a weekend to ask uh, questions, and a lot of them. We hope that you do that, uh, and certainly get to know people in, in this room, um, around the, the tables, uh, dining room, and even in our small group. So a great weekend ahead for you. Glad that you are here. Glad that you have, have come. So uh, I want to introduce uh, a couple of people uh, tonight. First, uh, you guys get to hear me talk about my wife, Julie, and my son, Carson. And they're sitting in the back there. I want to introduce them if you've never met them. There they are. Julie's the one standing. Carson's the little one, for those of you wondering. Um, so they're going to be around uh, tonight and uh, tomorrow. And then I want to introduce uh, to you uh, the person that we get to hear from uh, in these sessions throughout the weekend. And in introducing uh, him, I want to tell you one way that he's like you, one way he is not like you, and kind of what uh, drew me to, uh, to David and wanting him to be with us for the weekend. So uh, first, the way that he's like you. He is familiar with the Pacific Northwest, though he comes to us this evening from Chattanooga, Tennessee. He, uh, he attended Roosevelt High School uh, and growing up in, in Seattle uh, before becoming a fighting sage hen of Pomona College. That is the way that he is not like you uh, in, in California before he went on to uh, Princeton Theological Seminary where he earned an MDiv. And then over the past 10 years has been serving as a college pastor to students uh, in, again in Chattanooga near UTC. Uh, and Dave and I first got to know each other through this thing that many of you might be familiar with called the Ascent Network. Dave is one of the pastors in that network. And uh, over, over the years, as, as some of these guys, some of these pastors have gotten together uh, each year, I have come to know Dave. Uh, there, there's a lot of different types of guys in this group. You know, Some of them are, are these great leaders. Others are great theologians. Some of them are, are comedians, uh, if you will. Some are, are therapists. But what I uh, have been drawn to about David is that he, to me, is, is exactly uh, what a pastor should be. I feel like to this group of guys, these, these other college pastors around the country, David in some ways serves as the pastoral voice uh, for this group. And what do I mean by that? It means that when we get into some sort of discussion where we are searching for the meaning, we're searching for what is at the heart of this, 
I found David Burke to be somebody that can articulate the heart of something behind scripture or in issue or in the lives of college students as well as anybody I know. So that said, he's here tonight. He's three hours, uh, a three hour time zone off. So uh, you're get, he's going to need to draw upon energy from you, and he's away from his lovely wife and three children. So please give some energy and, w- and join me in welcoming Pastor David Burke. Check one. Hey, hey whoa, whoa. Oh, I'm supposed to stand back here. That's right. Hey, um, it is. Thank you, Ryan, for for that. And um, it is good to be with you all here tonight. It is night still, right? Yeah, um, morning actually for me. Um, the theme for uh, the, I didn't know y'all were doing the elementary school theme. I got a, a good story that just happened to me this past week. I've got a seven-year-old son, a four-year-old daughter, and a two-and-a-half-year-old son. You'll see pictures in a few minutes. But my seven-year-old son, his name is Hudson, H-U-D-S-O-N. That's going to be important in a minute. Because he made it to the second grade Spelling bee at Thrasher Elementary in Signal Mountain, Tennessee. Y'all, y'all know where that is? Katie does. But anyway, Thrasher Elementary. And this is a funny thing. How, how many of you did the spelling bee deal when you were in elementary school? Okay, how many of you threw the spelling bee so you wouldn't have to do it? Okay, we found some kids that did it. Um, Hudson, Hudson gets up there, and it's really funny how intense this thing was, is that, the, you know, the announcer gets up, you know, the person who reads the words and all that kind of stuff, and sets this whole thing up, and, and, uh, and Hudson's up there with 12 other kids, right? And she starts saying, she tells all the kids to get up and spell their name, right? And, and then they spell it into a tape recorder, of all things. Do you guys know what a tape recorder is still? Okay. And anyway, they... they uh, They'd spell their name into a tape recorder and then they play it back to make sure that it could be recorded and all this kind of stuff. And then the, the announcer person said something like, uh, um, hey, parents, we know that you're going to be really into this and so don't mouth the words. And I lean over to my wife. I'm like, yeah, who's going to do that? But um, anyway, the funny part is we get there and we, we, uh, we loaded all of our kids and stuff into the minivan, the Honda Odyssey minivan. You got to have one of those when you got three kids. And, and, um, and we get there early in the morning and we get a front row seat and all this kind of stuff. And I open up the program. This is for a spelling bee. And I see that um, Hudon Burke um, will be spelling in the second grade spelling bee. How hard is Hudson to spell? It's not that hard. But they drop the S. And so Hudon Burke is now spelling in the second grade spelling bee. And I know if you were one of those kids, if they misspelled your name in the program of the spelling bee, it would kind of throw you off, wouldn't it? It would be kind of like a mental mind game, like trying to get into your head and all that kind of stuff. Well, I am proud to say that after 12 rounds, 12 rounds, Hudon Burke walked away with the trophy to the second grade Thrasher Elementary School spelling bee. Yeah. On the word jewelry. How can, who, who can spell, Tom, can you spell jewelry? No. Okay. How many, this is one of the words, by the way, I, I did this on our Tuesday night, and uh, um, one of the words, second grade, ophthalmologist. Yeah, yeah, don't ask me to spell it, but Hudon can. Um, you guys will see pictures of him later. So if I can, can, um, can I just uh, pray for us, and then we'll, uh, we'll jump into some things tonight. Let's pray together. 
Our gracious God and uh, Heavenly Father, you brought me here, and I'm thankful. Um, many, many miles and a, a couple of time zones, and um, my family's probably asleep, and uh, Hudon probably has his head on his pillow. Um, but Lord, uh, I don't know these people here, but you do. You know each and every one, and you've called them by name. Uh, you have crafted them together, woven them together. And you know every thought, every uh, desire of their heart, every cry of their soul. And so while I may not be able to speak to them, I know you can. And so, Father, over these next 40-some hours that we are together, may you be the one that we listen to. May you be the one that we hear. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Wow, lights. Um, I grew up as an atheist. That's not the beginning of a joke. Uh, it's a true story. Um, I grew up about five minutes from the University of Washington in Wedgwood. Um, not, uh, we got some Wedgwood. Um, 70th and 36th Avenue Northeast. Um, lived there most of my life. I went to View Ridge Elementary and then Nathan Eckstein Middle School and then Roosevelt High School. And, uh, um, but, uh, my dad, my father taught at the University of Washington. He was a philosophy professor for a long time. And the ironic thing is, my brother, I've got an older brother, and, uh, we lived down the street from a church. Right down the street from a church. But I remember as a kid, I remember as a kid laughing at the people as they drove by on Sunday morning going to church. I was probably even six or seven and I would laugh. I was so skeptical about anything religious, anything spiritual at all. I was taught as a young child from, from the earliest dinner conversations I can remember that we grasp reality, we grasp life with our minds. And if you rationally think through things, and people that need faith and people that need God are weak. People that, that have that kind of need for something outside of themselves don't have it enough within themselves to make life work. That's how I was taught. We lived across the street from the friends. We used to play kickball out in the street there. And um, I remember, I think I was probably six years old and and getting into this kind of theological discussion with my friend Darcy. She was uh, kind of the tomboy, actually, of our street. And uh, and Darcy said something about, well, God can see you. And I was like, okay, Grant, this is six years old. And I'm going, how does God see everybody all at the same time? I could not grasp this concept. That God could see all people at all at the same time. My parents had given me, when I was a kid, one of those Greek mythology books. And it had illustrations in it. And in it, I don't even remember the name of the God, but there was some God with eyes all over his body. And that's the only thing. And I said, what what does God have? Does he have eyes all over his body? I couldn't picture it at all. So to give you a sense of that, from the earliest age, God had no place at all in my life. And people that needed God were intellectually weak. They needed something beyond themselves that, um, that they just couldn't make life work on their own. I'm going to fast forward a little bit. When I was in high school, and my dad was still teaching at the University of Washington, 
um, my parents started going through some, some really tough times in their marriage. There was a lot of yelling. There was a lot of arguing. Um, and to be honest, uh, I'd come home from school. My dad would come home from work, and um, he would take a bottle and drink, and the next two hours he'd be awake, and then he would pass out in his chair. And I remember seeing that, and I remember kind of thinking as much as I could as a 16-year-old, this doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And here's this man whose who's intelligence, y'all, um, was um, beyond a PhD in philosophy, taught at the university for a long time, and was actually uh, received awards in teaching at the UW. Um, and, I, and yet turned to something like a bottle every day to make the pain go away. And I had a hard time reconciling those two things. And at that same time, my, uh, like I said, my parents' marriage was starting to crumble. Um, I was told that I always needed to do well in school. That was the deal. Like, you do well in school, you get to go to a good college, you go to a good college, you get a good job, you get a good job, you get a good life, right? That's what we're all doing, right? That's what I was told. And so I, I, I pushed myself to do that. I was the valedictorian at Roosevelt High School back in a time before all of you were born. Um, most of you, I think. Anyway, and so I was doing that. I was doing the school thing. I played sports. I had a girlfriend at the time. And, um, and yet, family life was crumbling around me. I couldn't figure out what was going on with my dad. At that same time, I got benched by my coach. Go, you know, Think back to high school for a second, okay? The things that make up your world, um, at least for me, was... Stuff at home, your academics, your things that you're involved in, sports. If you have a girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever, that makes up your world, right? In the spring of my junior year of high school, all that stuff got taken away in some way. Because the stuff at home started to affect how much I cared about school. My grades started to slip and I was no longer, in my mind, the, the, the kid that did well in school. I didn't care. The girlfriend broke up with me and started dating the captain of the soccer team. Okay? I got benched and all this stuff. And I'm sitting there one night going, what, <laughs> what happened? <laughs> I was not a Christian at the time. Remember that? Okay. <laughs> what happened? I was doing the deal, right? I was, I was, I was doing well in school. If I did well in school, I was going to go to a good college. I was going to go to a good college. I'd get a good job and I'd get a good life. I was doing that. So what happened? And I remember thinking to myself, is there maybe something I'm missing? Is there something more? Now here's where the story gets kind of interesting. Um, about five years earlier, outside Nathan Eckstein Middle School, somebody handed me this. Do they still do this in Seattle? I know we laugh, right? If you, if you like it, they do it in Tennessee too. And I, I see it happen all the time. Somebody handed me this. I remember as a uh, seventh grader laughing when the guy handed it to me, but I didn't do anything. I didn't, like, throw it away. I knew what it was. If you don't know what this is, it's Gideon's New Testament Psalms and Proverbs. Okay? I remember laughing and putting it in my backpack. My junior year of high school, on one night, 
when I was sitting there wondering what life was at all about, all of a sudden I remembered that this was in our house. I'm not trying to sound strange or anything like that. I hadn't thought of this in years. And God impressed upon my heart, I can say that now, to get up out of my bed. My parents asked me what I was doing, and I lied to them. I said, oh, i got to do something for school. And I went and looked for this little Bible. I don't know how many of you ever have opened this. See, I never stepped foot in a church. The only time... I'm going to take that back. My grandparents took me on a Caribbean cruise when I was 10, and I went to Mass with them on a cruise ship once. Okay? So I went to church once. But before that... I had never opened a Bible, never went to church. I just knew that it was for people that are weak. But that one particular night, I went and found the Bible, and I began to read. If you have ever opened up a Gideon's Bible in a hotel room or anything, you will find, I didn't know where to start. Nobody ever told me you started in the Gospels or anything like that. So I looked in the table of contents. And if you ever looked in this, it says where to find help. And I remember one of the first ones was, it says teachings about some of life's problems. And I remember finding one for discouragement. I was like, that's me. I'm discouraged. And it tells me to go to this book called the Psalms. And Psalm 42 was one of the Psalms that it tells you to go to. And it says this, as a deer... Pants for water brooks, so my soul longs for thee. My tears have been my food day and night, while they keep on saying to me, Where is your God? These things I would remember and pour out my inner soul, for I used to walk on with the throng in their van to the house of God. This is King James, in case some of you are wondering. With a voice of joy and praise, a multitude that kept festival. Why are you bowed down, O my soul? Why so restless within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet thank Him for the help of His countenance, of His face. This blew me away. Because, I don't know about you, but my impression of Christianity, of God, was thou shalt do this and thou shalt not do that. And here was this thing telling me, to go to the Psalms. And there's this guy named David who was crying out to God in the middle of the night. And this began to speak to me. And over the next several nights, I began reading this every single night under the light of my covers. My parents thought my lights were off. I never said anything to anybody about it. But about that time, about a couple months later, some of my friends' young life started at my high school. Uh, some of you might be involved with that. And all of a sudden, my friends that I played soccer with or was in class with or whatever, even the girl that I had once dated, started being very bold about what they believed. And we began to have conversations. And about six months after I first opened up this little Bible that night, I remember weighing this life that offered hope, even though I didn't know much about it. A life that seemed to point to something that I had been missing. I weighed that six months versus the other 
15 and a half years of my life. And I saw hopelessness in my father and my mom, my older brother even. And I knew what I wanted. And I remember I was on the phone with my ex-girlfriend. And I said, so, okay, so what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to follow Jesus? And this is completely what I expected. I thought, she, she by the way, went to University Press Church. And um, I thought, because I knew that she went there, that I would have to go to the church and there would be a panel of pastors or priests. Okay? And I would have to answer the questions the right way. And then they would let me in. That's honestly what I thought. And so I was absolutely overwhelmed when she said, no, you simply acknowledge that you need Him. That all this time that you have ignored Him or even ridiculed Him, you have said that you could do it on your own. And that on the cross, He took away everything that you've ever done and ever will do. And that He offers you new life. And I remember thinking, that's it? I don't have to go answer questions in front of the priest. This is so easy. So simple. And it was in my dad's study. I hung up the phone. I didn't even know what I was saying or praying. But I said, God, this is what I want. This is what I want. From that point on, um, I have been trying to learn what it means to follow this Jesus. Because what I didn't share is that after these things in the Gideon Bible um, took me to the Psalms, I started looking in the table of contents about problems that I didn't even have, um, just because I was curious about. And I began reading about Jesus in the Gospels. And I was absolutely fascinated by Him. Absolutely fascinated. He was not what I imagined. And I pray that as we talk this weekend, that we will all see Him anew. I have some sad news to share. Um, just about three weeks ago, uh, my father passed away in Seattle. and I was actually out here. My brother and I went through his apartment. And uh, my parents did end up divorcing when I was in college. And my dad remarried and, and was separated from his uh, his wife, and uh, the medical examiner said he died of a heart attack. But um, my brother and I know um, from going through the apartment that um, it was ultimately the drinking that that um, took his life again. Uh, on Monday afternoon, after I'm done here, uh, the University of Washington is holding a service for my dad, put on by the philosophy and economics department, where he also worked for over 25 years. My dad and I uh, came to an understanding about each other. I can't ever say that he came to faith. I can honestly say the last conversation I had with him, he came out to visit my family in Tennessee. And on the way to the airport, after having had some hard conversations with him the last few days that we had been together, I looked at him and I said, Dad, I know you might not believe this, but I know this is true, that God is real. He is. And He offers forgiveness. So, 
I've had some sort of sense of peace as I've tried to explain to my kids what happened to their Grandpa John. Because they also know that he didn't believe in God. And Hudson especially, who's seven, asked me what was going to happen. And I said, Hudson, I don't know, but I do know this, that the last time Grandpa John was here, this is what I told him. And I can only hope, I can only hope that he heard me and he believed it. So my prayer as we uh, talk this weekend is that we really realize how real this God is. I don't know, as I prayed earlier, I don't know you all. I don't know what you think about someone standing up here who gets paid to do this. You might think that it's easy to talk about this stuff when you get paid to do it. But I can say that I never planned when I was 16 years old to be here in um, Black Lake many, many years later and that this would be my calling. And all I can say is that um, there must be a God and He must be real. I want to look tonight at just one, one verse, really. Before I do that, I know this has been heavy. You all want to meet my kids? Just via photo. I live with um, superheroes. And um, um, it is a constant thing. <laughs> you got, this is really funny how all this is tied together. The, um, the kid who never takes his Halloween costume off. Yeah, I live with them. Okay, this is Hudson. And um, he's going to be so embarrassed later. He, he actually knew I was bringing this picture. He's like, Dad. And um, anyway, you might think that's a Mr. Incredible mask, a Superman cape, and, well, just his underwear on. But <laughs> this is his own created superhero, Brasto Man, okay? B-R-A-S-T-O. Now, Brasto Man has some pretty amazing talents, okay? He's written a book. Hudson has written a book about Brasto Man. Fire comes out of his left hand, ice comes out of his right hand, and check this out, fruit juice out of the eyes. No joke. The movie's coming out right after Iron Man. So, Brasto Man, I mean, Hudson came up with all this stuff. So, um, that's Hudson, um, and then we'll move on to my daughter, McLean. She is four. Oh, picture's not as good. But anyway, if you could see this, you got to go check the computer in the back, okay? She's Wonder Woman here, <laughs> but she doesn't look happy at all. I mean, she does not look like a superhero. She's kind of going like this, um, but she is um, she's awesome. And um, she is, is four years old. And then we have one little one, uh, Crew. That's Crew. Um, and uh, he obviously is Superman. And, and I, I honestly, I'm not... I miss them a lot. Uh, they are a lot of fun for me to be a dad. And uh, I can honestly say, um, from one of the th- some of the things that I just shared with you and some of the, the holes that I grew up with in some ways not having a dad, God is teaching me a lot. I'm teaching me a ton about how to, um, to celebrate these lives. So those are my kids. There's a beautiful picture of my wife on my uh, computer back there as well. But it would be kind of creepy and weird if I put a picture of her up with a superhero costume on, huh? Yeah. 
I just creeped a lot of you out right now. So let's move over. Let's move on. Let me tell you, um, this, uh, this ties in with where we're going. But um, a few years ago, we can take crew down now. You guys are going to stare at him instead of me. Um, a few years ago, when we were toilet training um, Hudson, ironically, it was about the same time that we were having earnest conversations with him about Jesus. Okay? And, um, and we were talking about the way that I was taught. Okay, the way that I was taught that, that um, the, the very thing that my ex-girlfriend said to me over the phone was that you accept Jesus into your heart, right? Which um, I'd lo- really love to unpack that with you all at some point. But that's the way I was taught, right? You accept Jesus into your heart. And um, so it, that's the way that we began to try to explain it to, to Hudson. And if you think about it, in a kid's mind, that's, that's kind of a weird concept. Okay, Jesus lived historically, died, rose again, and... So he's big, adult, and then you try to get him into your heart, okay? But we just said, Hudson, that's what you do. You just accept that, that he is the Lord of your life and he's a part of your heart. So one day when I was at work, Kelsey called me up just absolutely dying laughing because he goes, David, i got to tell you this story. Hudson was um, doing his business on the potty when all of a sudden he screamed out really loud. Mom, mom, come in here right away, mom. So Kelsey thinks that there's something wrong and runs in there. And there is Hudson looking down at the toilet. And, she, and he looks up with this kind of scared look on his face and says, Mom, I, I think I pooped Jesus out of my body. <laughs> this is a true story. Hope you all have fun when you have kids. And Kelsey tried to suppress a laugh and said, Hudson, you can't poop Jesus out of your body. He stays. He stays. And in the most awkward transition ever, my message to you this weekend is you can't poop Jesus out of your body. He's here to stay. Um, anybody know? Anybody know the first sermon that Jesus preached? What was the substance of it? Just go ahead and yell it out. I'm, anybody know? I know the first word recorded at least in two of the Gospels. Go ahead. Blessed? Ah, it's a really good guess. It's an awesome, awesome guess, but no. Um, Because the Sermon on the Mount, right? Sermon on the Mount is what we think of when the first sermon. Okay, I'm going to read it to you. What? What? No, no, I can hear. Seriously. What? Say it. Oh, yeah, but we don't know what he said. Don't know what he said. Great guess, though. What? Yes. Awesome. What's your name? Was that Cashley or Ashley? Cash. Cashley. That's a cool name. That's cool. It's not Hunan, but it's, it's cool. Um, let, me, let me read this for you. And set up the context a little bit. This is what's recorded in both Matthew and Mark, okay? And, and ironically, this comes very... It's 
obviously, very early in Jesus' ministry, very early in Jesus' ministry. And his cousin, John the Baptist, has been thrown into prison. Okay? And, and in the gospel, in Matthew's gospel, it says that Jesus began to preach in a certain region, Galilee, and he tied it in with a prophecy 700 years earlier from the prophet Isaiah that says, Behold, the people that are walking in darkness have seen a great light. A prophecy uttered by Isaiah some 700 years before. And it says that in Galilee of the Gentiles, a certain region where mostly non-Jews lived, okay? That they've been walking in darkness and all of a sudden they've seen a great light. And then here's this line that comes in in both Matthew's Gospel and Mark's. And it says, at, from this point on, or at this time, Jesus began to preach, repent, repent. And believe for the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God in Mark's gospel, is at hand. It's near. Now think about that for a moment. First of all, this sounds like something that you would hear on a street corner in the south, right? That you'd be walking down Chattanooga, Tennessee, and somebody goes, repent, right? That's what you expect. You kind of expect, oh yeah, religious leader... Repent and believe, because there's so much tied up. Anybody know what repent really means? Turn around. Yeah, we've all heard that. Yes, we've heard this message, and a lot of you are going, oh, he's going to go with that. You know what? That's not, I don't know where that came from, because I heard that sermon too. I have. Okay? So I don't blame you. We've all heard about repent means that you're going one way, and then you turn around another way, right? That's actually the Hebrew word, but we're talking about a Greek word. Meta-noia. How many philosophy majors are in here? Okay, what is meta? Huh? Yeah, okay, that's okay. You guys were coming on a retreat. You weren't expected to be asked questions. That's fine, okay. Noia is your mind. Meta means something above or beyond, okay? A meta-narrative, you know, all that kind of stuff. You're postmodern. Meta-noia means to change your mind. Think about what you're thinking. Think about what you're thinking. That was Jesus' first words. And then he said, believe the good news of the kingdom. The kingdom of heavens is at hand. Now stop and think about this for a moment. Would all of us packed up our stuff and began following somebody around if they just said that? Probably not. He wouldn't have had a whole lot of DVD sales, wouldn't have had a whole lot of books, if that was his message. Yet somehow, combined with his preaching of that message, along with amazing miracles of healing, crowds began to gather. Have you ever stopped and think about, thought about this? Both Gospels. Men drop their nets and begin to follow him. And all we know is that he said this kind of message. Repent and believe the good news of the gospel. Now, for us, what's the good news of the gospel? What's the gospel, if we were to, if we were to kind of narrow it down, what's the good news of the gospel? When somebody were to ask you this. This is a part where you could answer if you wanted. You guys are gun shy now. Here, I'll, I'll say the gospel that was taught to me, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and was raised three days later resurrected from the dead so that we might have life and have it more abundantly. Is that fair? That's the gospel, right? 
then what the heck was Jesus preaching if that hadn't happened yet? What was the good news of the kingdom, the good news of the gospel, if that hadn't happened yet? And why did everybody begin to follow? It's a fascinating thing to think about. This is one of the things that I think, and I'm not alone in this, that people then and people now, they desire something, someone to be near. And yet throughout history, unfortunately, when truth of a spiritual kind, and I'll say more about that later, but when truth gets packaged in human religion, what ends up happening is that God becomes distant. In Jesus' day, the religious leaders of the day had such crafted religion that made it difficult to access intimacy with God. You had to do certain things. You even had to be of a certain race and certain gender in order to access the Holy of Holies. In order to access intimacy with God, you had to be a certain kind of person and maintain certain kind of things in order to get access to God. Not too different if you make the jump to now. How many of us feel like we've got to jump through a lot of hoops and do a lot of things in order to have access to God? Why I think that Jesus appealed so quickly to people as He told them that that was all a lie. That God indeed is near. And let me break this down really practically for us. I'm not going to try to get freaky on y'all or anything like that, but do you all realize that right now as I'm speaking, right now, that the Spirit of God is in this room? Not because I'm speaking, not even because we have you know, worship leaders and we're here at a Christian camp. Do you realize that right now, right now, the presence of the kingdom of God is among us? Now, think for a moment, and we're going to talk a lot about this this weekend. If you could grasp that reality on a daily basis, how would that change your life? That where you walked because of your relationship with Him, the kingdom of God went with you everywhere. Not to get in your faces, but it goes with you into the classroom into the gym, into the dorm room, into make-out sessions with your boyfriend and girlfriend. It goes everywhere. And here's the thing. Most of us, myself included, would be scared of that reality. Right? Because our image of God has been twisted and warped. But somehow, some way, when Jesus said, change your mind, believe the good news of the gospel, the kingdom of the heavens is at hand, people believed Him and they wanted it. They wanted that. And they followed Him. Yes, later, 
because he didn't match up to their expectations of what that kingdom would look like, they abandoned him. But for a long time, people followed him because he proclaimed the presence of God among us. In a book that I've been reading recently by a guy named Leslie Newbigin, who was a missionary for a long time and wrote a book called The Gospel and the Pluralist Society, said, the reign of God, the reign of God is now confronting you as a present reality. The fact that God reigns is confronting every single one of us as a present reality. Now, we can look around the world and watch the news and go, God, where is your kingdom here? Because this is injustice and this is wrong and this is suffering. Yes, absolutely. And God's kingdom is moving into those places. But the truth of the matter is, is that the good news of the gospel is not simply that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and was raised three days later, but that His presence is the very power by which we live. That was what he preached. And that is still true. Now over the next couple of days, we're going to look at what are the barriers to really believing that? And what, is the, what are the things that, that will help us grasp that? Because I've been to a lot of retreats like this one. And I am sure that a lot of us could walk away from this and not even remember many things about what I've said here. And yet, perhaps, just perhaps, there will be one thing that sticks with you. When Jesus said, change your mind and believe that the kingdom of the heavens is near that will become a reality in your life. And that's my hope. Another way of saying this is that if the kingdom of the heavens, if the kingdom of God is at hand, then the King, Jesus Christ, and all of the resources of the kingdom are immediately available to every one of us that call on His name. The resources of the king and his kingdom are immediately available to all of us who call on his name. This is the analogy that came to me when I was on the airplane today, and it may hit home, it may not. I realize I'm breaching sports conferences. I now live in southeastern conference country and not the Pac-10 country, but... I'm sure some of you have heard of Florida quarterback Tim Tebow. Okay? What does Tim Tebow put on his things underneath his eyes, except for the national championship game where he changed verses? What did he put? Philippians 4.13. Yeah, that's okay. Which says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Okay? Now, I don't know about you, that was one of the first verses I memorized when I was a Christian. Oh, that's an awesome verse. And I usually used it to, to do what? Man, i got a lot of stuff on my plate. I can do a lot of things through Christ who strengthens me. 
You know how Tim Tebow should, I don't know how he interprets that verse, and you know how Paul, who wrote that, was interpreting that verse? It isn't about doing more stuff. It's about doing things through the power of the kingdom. Doing things through Christ. Because He can do all things. So it's not about doing more. It's about letting Him do those things. I know. Can I tell you? Uh, I know on my time. I don't have a watch. I don't know what time it is. Um, I'll tell you that I lived most of my Christian life never grasping this truth. Because what I did when I prayed that prayer in my dad's study, I felt like I got a ton of catching up to do. I never went to Sunday school. I never read the Bible. And my family had one of those big family Bibles that was probably given to my parents at the wedding. It was like this big and about this thick. And I sat out on my deck on, in Seattle and I began reading. And I was like, all right, Genesis. All right, you know, whip through Genesis. And okay, that's pretty good. And then I got to Leviticus and I closed the book. All these dietary laws and holiness codes. And I was like, boom. But I sat, set out to go about the spiritual life the way that most of us approach everything in life. We study. We read all the books we can. We consult the experts. And even our spiritual life becomes something that Someone else gives to us. For the longest time, I missed the truth that the good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ, personally and powerfully, and the resources of His kingdom are available to us if we would but seek it. So, it doesn't matter who you are here tonight. If you are investigating His claims for the very first time, if you are somebody that knows Him but feels like He is distant, if you are someone that serves Him every single day but you have been doing it for a long time without Him, the message is the same. Change your mind. Repent. For the kingdom of God, it's here. It's here. Let's pray together. God, would you fix this truth into our minds? And may we hear it as good news. May we um, even imagine ourselves to be like the people on the shores of the Sea of Galilee who might have heard you utter these very words. And may we be so drawn to your presence that we long to follow and hear more of what you have to say. Lord, would you forgive us if we have made you into something you are not or have made our following of you into something you never intended. But we know that you give us grace and power and healing to move from where we are into a deeper relationship with You. 
May you do that tonight, this weekend, and even the rest of our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.